Now we're going to pick up in 1 Peter 3, and this message is simply titled, Wives and Husbands. Now, if you're married, this is definitely for you. If you're not married, but you want to be, this message is also definitely for you. If you're not married and you don't ever want to be married, God bless your ministry. That's not my testimony, (laughs) but there's still something in it for you. Could we stand together um, for the reading of God's word? This is 1 Peter 3. We're going to be reading 1 through 7 in the ESV. And it reads, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. And when they see your respectful and pure conduct, they'll be even more one without a word. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Verse 7, and likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you to the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this moment where we get to dive into your word and figure out what is it that you're saying to us. God, I thank you for your presence here. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that's bringing this word alive in our hearts and that's illuminating truth for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you may be seated. Um, so many times over my life, I've heard this message preached uh, many different ways with many different interpretations. Um, and tonight I'm going to do my absolute best through proper exegesis, which is the critical explanation or interpretation of a text. Thank you, Lead Well. Um, I'm going to do my best to show you through proper exegesis why this passage of scripture gives a specific instance of how wives and husbands within their marriages should carry out the overarching instruction that Peter has been giving to Christians in the previous chapters. Now, since it's been a month since we've gone over this book, let's have a refresher. Let's go backward to figure out what is Peter saying when he says, likewise, wives. Let's look at 1 Peter 2, verse 11, where he begins to establish a sequence of instructions to Christians in general. He says, beloved, 
I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Now, this is very important in this letter because he's saying as Christians, we are sojourners and exiles. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. We are refugees away from heaven, which is our true home. So as sojourners and exiles, how are we supposed to live? We're supposed to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against our soul. And verse 12, we're supposed to keep our conduct. There's that word again that he used in 3.1 when he talked about wives' conduct. He's telling the Christians, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, which you are not, but when they speak against you like that, they'll see your good deeds and they'll glorify God on the day of his visitation. So the goal of this instruction is for us as sojourners and exiles that we might turn slander from the world into a God-glorifying affirmation on the day of his visitation in their lives. May the moment when Jesus visits them be a moment when they see him and they see his truth and they see his truth having been lived out in our lives. And then Peter goes on in 2.13 and he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be emperors or governors. And then in 2.17, he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And 2.18, he says, servants be subject to your masters. So he's laying out how there's a subjection that each of us have to whatever institution we find ourselves in. And there is a way that Peter is instructing us as sojourners and exiles to keep our conduct pure and honorable and God glorifying within these particular institutions. And so then in 3.1, he says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Not all the men running around here, not to someone else's husband, but be subject to your own husband. So even if some of them do not obey the lagos, he may be one without a lagos by the conduct of their wives. What is he saying? That word in the Greek, lagos, word, it can be used, uh, translated as like a word that we speak. It's also used in John 1.14 where, where Jesus became flesh. The word, the lagos, became flesh and dwelt among us. It's used to describe uh, the word of God in the Bible. We see in Luke 11.28, but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the lagos of God and keep it. What Peter is saying is, if your husband won't read the word with you, be the word to him. If he won't go to church with you, be the church to him. If uh, you get it, you get what he's saying here. You don't need to give a pressing lagos, a nagging lagos, a complaining lagos. You need to be the lagos, showing him Jesus. Woo! I felt that. Oh, Jesus. I felt conviction in my spirit. Hey. Woo. That's easier said than done, honey. We need to show him Jesus with our respectful and pure conduct, which I'm going to break down in a moment. But before we go to verse 2, I want you to see how Peter is calling Christian wives to a greater level of faith in Jesus even if their husband don't obey the word, even if he doesn't, even if he's not a Christian, 
You do right what's in the sight of God. You be righteous. You be holy. Some things that we have to remember, this is first century Rome. There, it was almost unthinkable for a woman in a marriage to adopt another religion than her husband had. It was like, what do I do now? She wants to know, do I, do I leave my husband? Am I, am I now better than him? Because no, 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 no. Win him without a word. Peter's saying, preach the gospel. And if you absolutely have to, use words. Now, I want to say to all the single ladies, to all the single ladies, all the single uh, I want to say this. I want, I want you to pay attention and notice very clearly how Peter did not say, it's okay for you to marry an unbeliever. He's saying, if you become a believer when your husband is not yet a believer, this is how you do it. So... Okay, y'all don't want to hear me. <laughs> if you're not married and you're entertaining a joker, I'm gonna pick up my computer for this one. And you've been asking, he's, he's, not, he's not a Christian. And you've been asking, God, give me a sign. Give me a sign. If you don't want me to be with him, Lord, give me a sign. Consider this your sign. <laughs> Block, delete, unfriend, whatever you got to do. Silence says a lot more than any words could ever say. So if you're not yet a wife and you want to be a wife, there's a general instruction to you in this as well. Because in 2.12, he tells all Christians to begin putting into practice while wow, you're still single, honorable conduct. And I'm going to tell you, I've only been married nine years. I know some of y'all in this room are like 30 and 40 in. But I'm going to tell you, just in my short nine years of experience, that junk is harder to do than it is to talk about right here. Strengthen the muscle of obeying God now. It's easier when God brings the one then. All right. Here we go, verse two. That they may be one without a word when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, the word respectful here in the Greek is phabas. It means the fear of God. So how do we interpret what Peter is trying to say to us? It's the same word he actually used in 1 Peter 1.17 when he says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to one's deeds, conduct yourselves with the fear of God throughout your time of exile. Also in 2.17, he says, honor God, love the brotherhood, and fear God. The fear of the Lord is what Peter is talking to us about today. He's saying, fear the Lord and remain pure. As sojourners and exiles in this world, it's important that we operate in the fear of God and the way that we conduct ourselves. I think Peter's saying, when your husband sees how much you fear God before anything else, how much you remain pure-hearted in his presence, he can't help but be won over. He can't help but come to Jesus if he's not saved. 
It's our responsibility in the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we relate to one another that we fear God. And then we move on to verse 3 and 4. Ooh, this is my favorite part. (laughs) Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. I used to hate that. Don't tell me to be quiet which is very precious in God's sight. What does adorn actually mean? It means to enhance the appearance of a thing, especially with beautiful objects. So why does Peter even talk about hair and jewelry within the context of winning your husband without a word? Why is he mentioning this? What he's saying is, don't let your adorning be merely external. Don't be so shallow, so vain, so hollow. He's not telling us don't wear earrings. He's not saying don't put on gold jewelry. He's, not, he's, not, he's certainly not saying don't walk around with any clothes on. He's saying if that's, yeah, amen is right. Put some clothes on when you come in here now. Put a little more clothes on too when you come in here. <laughs> he's saying... That if that's the kind of adorning you're depending on to win your husband, honey, that ain't going to work. Because Botox, Bodycon, implants, and nails, makeup, eyelashes, sew-ins, and BBLs, all of these things will eventually fade, and what Peter is saying will always remain... The hidden person of the heart. He's saying when everything fades, what's left, what else do you got? The imperishable beauty of a woman who knows deep down inside her spirit that God's got this. A woman who doesn't have to be defensive because she knows God is her defender. A woman who rests in the strength of God's protection and peace. A wife not given to fear and anxiety. She's calm in her spirit, standing firm in the Lord, resolute in her faith when life gets hard. And these things are the things that never fade. This imperishable beauty is not something that you put on. It's something that you are internally. This is why knowing who we are in Christ before we marry is so, so, so important. I'm sorry, guys. This thing is bothering me. Is this, um, is this, can you guys hear me? Okay, praise God. Peter is challenging us how we trust God as sojourners and exiles is so important in how we're living in this institution of marriage. Are we relying on God to do what only he can do? Am I relying on you, God, to do what only you can do? Can I rest in you? Can I maintain a gentle and quiet spirit? And ladies, this has nothing to do with your personality or your talkativeness or your outgoing personality. This has to do with your spirit. 
Now, I'm going to pause just here just for a quick second and say that even though Peter is not telling women to be quiet, we don't need to have something to say about everything, okay? We don't have to have, I'm going to say it one more time, wives, we don't have to have something to say about everything. I know we feel like we do. Okay, I feel like I do. But it could come across like in this negative, like condescending way. So maybe the next time you feel the need to say something about maybe what he's not doing, just try to replace it with like a thank you. Or maybe like, I see your effort. Or maybe like, oh, you're such a good dad, babe. You're so good. You're such a good dad. (laughs) Find something good. There's something good that you can say. Okay, back to our spirit. (laughs) Stay there. I'm moving along. Um, If you were here on Sunday, you heard Pastor tell us talk about our spirit, that, that part of us that has been regenerated by God, the part that talks to God, the part of us that will live forever in eternity. Peter is admonishing us as women to be so connected with the spirit of God, so tapped into his strength that when everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in you, Jesus. You've never let me down. You're faithful to the generations before me and after me. So why would you fail me now? He won't. Can you keep a quiet, resolute, fearless spirit when calamity hits your life? This is very precious to God. Why? Because it's a sign to the world around us that greater is he who lives inside of me than he who is in the world. Unshaken, fearless, resolute women are a force to be reckoned with. Not today, Satan. My spirit is at peace in Jesus. I have a gentle and quiet spirit. So then where is Peter going to go next? How is he going to provide foundation and argument for everything that he's just told us in these first four verses? Well, let's read it together. Verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Notice how Peter, he doesn't look to culture or societal norms. He doesn't go back. He doesn't go to the world around him or to his friends. He looks back to redemptive history specifically to the holy women. He goes back to holiness among women. He goes back to hope in God, hope in God among women. He references Sarah in her submission toward Abraham, how she did good and didn't fear anything that was frightening. What can we draw from this? Holy women, hope in God. 
They are set apart to his purposes and they trust him completely. Holy women are fearless. Even when they experience frightening things, they don't allow the spirit of fear in. Why? Because their spirit is occupied with a resolute faith, a gentle and a quiet spirit. That word in this part of the text, fear, it's a different word. It doesn't mean to fear God, it's phobeo, and it actually means to be frightened. What he's saying is, when fear presents itself, how are you responding? Are you confident in the God of your salvation? Or are you shaken? How do holy, what do holy women do? They, they do good deeds. Their conduct is pure and it's God-fearing. And holy women adorn themselves by submitting. Now, what does adorn mean again? It means to make attractive or make something beautiful. So how did the holy women make themselves attractive? By submitting to their own husbands. I am subject to this man and this marriage. He is mine and I am his. I'm not looking for anyone else because he does it for me. He has my full allegiance and I've got his back and he's got mine. And I want him to feel respected in our home and appreciated when he walks through the door. Outside of my submission to God, which is required of all of us. He's my one and only. This is what Peter alludes to as being attractive to our husbands. And then he uses this instance where Sarah called Abraham Lord to illustrate what that submission actually looks like. He chooses a place in scripture where Sarah referred to, to her husband as Lord, the only place in scripture actually, that's ever recorded where Sarah referred to her husband as Lord. It happens in Genesis 18, 9 through 12, and we're going to read this. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. They were advanced in years, about a hundred years old. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah about 50 years prior when she went through menopause. The factory was shut down and dusty. She was worn out. So Sarah laughed to herself. She laughed. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, right. <laughs> After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I still have pleasure? Is it even possible for my body to do that? Okay, this is what she's saying. Notice here, Sarah was in a tent alone overhearing a conversation between these angels or these messengers or God and Abraham, 
She's overhearing it. She's not even directly involved in the conversation. And she laughs to herself this, this internal laugh. She wasn't speaking directly to him. She never actually directly called him Lord in scripture. She wasn't speaking to others about him. It's like a throwaway statement. It's like a off the cuff in a private moment of disbelief, the inner posture and attitude of her heart toward her husband, it comes out, it bubbles over. Her inward disposition, that hidden person of her heart that respects her husband in such a way that she uses the term, my Lord, which was common to ascribe honor to husbands or to authority figures in that day. She did it when no one was listening. Peter is admonishing us as wives to check our hearts toward our husbands. He's saying this kind of adorning where your heart is turned toward your husband in a respectful way when no one else is watching, that is submission. And this isn't some dominating type stuff. The husband can't demand submission, but it's oh so beautiful when he willingly, when she willingly offers it. And now that we've taken six long verses full of detail to address the wives, Peter is getting ready to demonstrate to the husbands how to do what he's getting ready to tell them to do. Let's look in 1 Peter 3, 7 again. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you to the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. In one simple, direct, and to the point sentence, he tells the men what they're supposed to do. I think it's really cool how Peter tells the men, live with your wives in an understanding way. And pay attention to what I just did in the first six verses. I gave her detail. I spent time unpacking it. I told her about all the nuances and gave her references to go look. I get, you know, you know, you know, you know the conversation. When your husband has just, they had a conversation with someone. They're like, oh yeah, I talked to so-and-so today. I'm like, okay, oh, well, yeah. What do they say? Well, I, 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 don't, I don't know. They just, I mean, they just said everything was good. Well, how long were you, how long did you talk, talk to them? I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know. 10, 20 minutes? Well, was it 10 or was it 20? <laughs> well, but what did they say? Well, when you said that, what did they say? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what they said. What do you mean you don't know what to see? You don't listen. See, that's the problem. You don't, see? Their argument ensues, right? Peter is saying, hey, hey, like, like give them a little bit of time to like talk through what's going on here. He's modeling that. This is such a radical teaching to first century Christians, to first century Roman husbands. In that day, husbands could do whatever the heck they wanted to do. 
They treated their wives like possessions. She was beneath him. There was no, there was no honoring, mutual respect. There was none of that. She existed to meet his needs, have his babies, clean his house, do his laundry. Rome was very patriarchal, where the husband, if he got caught cheating on his wife, there were no consequences. She just had to live with it. But, oh, let her cheat on him, and she's going to get stoned in public. Do you understand this type of crazy, radical? Peter's going, I'm flipping all of that on its head. So with this context in mind, likewise, husbands, there's that word again. Just like your wife has a role as she subjects herself to you, you have a role as you subject yourself to this marriage. As sojourners and exiles, you must abstain from passions of the flesh. Stop looking at pornography. Stop looking at other women. Stop lusting after people in your heart. Get yourself together. He's saying, keep your conduct honorable. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. What does it mean to be a Christian husband when you're living in the world and not of it? Well, first, you live with your wife. Quite literally, you live with your wife. You are present with her. You give her your time and attention. You listen to her. You actually do life with her. You put your phone down. You make them feel seen and known. You are subject to a kingdom standard, a kingdom way of living with your wife in an understanding way. This translates to according to knowledge. Live with your wife according to knowledge. How do you gain knowledge? Oh, you study. You study her. You learn her rhythms and her patterns. You pay attention to the things she likes. You learn her love language. You get inquisitive about her needs. You study her habits. You get curious about why she does what she does, what makes her tick, what makes her smile, what makes her angry, what makes her happy. And every wife is different. So husbands, it's your job to make the knowledge of her your top priority. Outside of your knowledge of Jesus, she's your top priority. You're to live with her in this understanding way, like quite literally understanding. I'll say it like this, to stand under her, to support her, to hold her up, to create a solid foundation where she could feel secure. If you're standing under me, I feel protected. I feel cared for. I feel safe. You're showing honor to me when you lift me up above your needs. You're showing honor to me as the weaker vessel when you can carry me through something, when you can stand under me in trial, in fire, in pain. And as you stand under your wife, you give her a place of honor, a place of high esteem. Honoring your wife means valuing her opinion and defending her and deferring to her and holding her up and having a high regard for her. You're not lording over her. You are leading her in righteousness. You're holding her needs above your own. And you realize she's a vessel 
created by God to carry life inside of her womb, but not only that, to carry the life of Jesus Christ for your family, for your neighborhood, for your marriage, for your city, for your nation, for your community. There is life living inside of her as a vessel of the most high God. We have this, we have this, uh, this treasure in vessels of clay. And she might be weaker physiologically. She might have less testosterone and less muscle mass than you do, unless she's a bodybuilder. And then I don't know what to tell you about that. (laughs) But she was designed with a different physiological makeup on purpose. She has to be able to withstand the pain of childbirth. And no man can do that. I'm going to say it one more time for the people online. A man cannot have a baby, only a woman. All right. Moving forward. (laughs) You have a responsibility as this kingdom man to protect your wife, to have her back, to take initiative, to lead with integrity. This means as the weaker vessel, when you honor her, you never put your hands on her. You're never harsh with her. You don't yell and scream and point your finger in her face. You don't threaten her with your physical stature. You don't ever make her scared or threatened, ever. This is how you show her and God that you really honor her. And I know that that's like a touchy subject. If you're in this room right now and you're being abused in your marriage, please, Email pastor at gracecove.org because we want to talk to you. If you're in this room and you've been an abuser, there's grace for you. Come down to the front after. We'll pray with you. We'll believe God for healing and wholeness and deliverance for you. Why is it important now to honor your wives as the weaker vessel? Well, because she's an heir with you of the grace of life. Literally translated, this means she's a fellow Air, right alongside you, not behind you, not beneath you, shoulder to shoulder, an heir to the grace of life. Both the husband and wife are equal heirs to the grace of life in spiritual privilege and eternal importance. Let's look at how Peter describes this in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. He says, blessed be God and blessed be the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. What is he saying? Sons and daughters, before we ever get to chapter three and start talking about marriage, you have an inheritance in Jesus Christ himself. So we are all God's children. We are all his heirs. So the woman that you live with, dear husband, if she's a Christian, she's an heir to everything that the king has. She's a wealthy queen who has inheritance waiting for her in heaven just like you do. She's going to receive the grace of life just like you are. And if we look at 1 Peter 1.13, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action... 
And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the glory of everything that eternal life implies. So that woman that you lay next to every night, she's an heir right alongside you. And what a privilege that her daddy has entrusted her to your care. So you better treat her right. You better live with her in that understanding way, standing under her. You better honor her as that fellow heir that she is. Why? So that your prayers may not be hindered. What does this mean? Let's see where Peter talks about prayer in this letter that he's writing in 1 Peter. I'm going to fast forward a little bit to 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled. Be sober-minded. For what? For the sake of your prayers. When Peter is thinking about end times, he is highlighting the importance of safeguarding your prayers with self-control and sober-mindedness. We see in 3.7 this instance of what he's talking about with husbands. Your sober-mindedness and your self-control will be so important in your effort to love, honor, and care for her. You'll need self-control to live with her in an understanding way and to treat her as an equal heir with you to the grace of life And why is prayer important? Because it's communication with God. It's the way we make our requests known to him, and it's how he speaks to us. I think Peter is saying as sojourners and exiles, husbands, you who are living in the world but not of it, you're going to need an open connection with God. You're going to need to pray. You're going to need to hear from him. So don't hinder that connection that you have right now with him by dishonoring your wives and treating him less than. I think God wants us first to to come to the cross, to come to Jesus, to to let the filter of the cross dictate to us our conduct in life and especially in marriage. I remember Pastor Donnell. I wrote this before you were here, Pastor D. By the way, Pastor Donnell in the house tonight. I put you in my sermon, didn't even know you were going to be here this week. Look, Pastor Janelle always used to tell me the first one to the cross wins. The cross is where everything begins and ends. Why? Because Jesus is that third strand in our marriage. Without him, what's all this for anyway? Now, before I close, I just want to say with all of that, all everything we've just said, check this out where Peter goes right next. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 9. So to sum up, all of you, all of you, husbands, wives, single, married, as sojourners and exiles, all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil. Oh, he said me this. He said this to me, so I'm going to say that to him. Not returning insult for insult, 
but giving a blessing. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Peter is admonishing us, don't you dare, don't you dare forfeit your inheritance of blessing because of pride. Both of y'all got to serve each other in order for this thing to work the way that God wants it to. And our lives as husbands and wives, it all boils down to discovering ways to love one another the way that Jesus first loved us. Finding ways to be subject in our marriages the way that God wants us to be. Why? For his sake. Somehow, unfortunately, we've created this world of artificial intelligence. I saw a friend the other day, they had AI caricature. I was like, no, that person really looks like you. That's not you. That's not a picture of you. Oh, no, no. It, it was really an AI. We create this artificial intelligence world where our spouse, they're just everything we want them to be, and they just, like robots, they do whatever we want them to do. They serve our every need. They always make us happy. They always let us have our way. They're just like idols. They, we worship their ability to make us feel good. And when they don't, then there's a big problem. But I want to tell you tonight, your spouse is not created in your image. They're created in the image of God. So stop trying to get them to be what you want them to be and start asking God to help you be who you're supposed to be. Let your conduct among the Gentiles be honorable. Are you taking responsibility for your own conduct or are you blaming someone else? Are you living as a sojourner and an exile in your marital relationship? Is Jesus the third strand? I just want us to take a moment and realign ourselves to Jesus. Come back to the cross. Invite the truth of the word of God to help us like Pastor Tella says, live, look, and love more like Jesus. God, I thank you for how you give us the strength to live in a way that our conduct preaches without a word. To treat each other with kindness. To trust you in ways that we have not before to believe you, God, that you can give us peace in the middle of a storm. Where when everything is shaken, we can stand on your rock. Lord, and I just ask you in this moment right now that any marriages that are in the room that or listening online that that might be struggling, that might, might say, you know what, I, I just don't know if I have it anymore. God, I ask that you would send your minist ministering angels to encamp around their home, that your Holy Spirit would bring peace, that you would turn their hearts to each other in mutual honor and respect that as the wife subjects herself to her husband, that the husband would subject himself 
in this marriage. And Lord, that they would keep you at the center. God, for those that are longing to be married, it's been years and years and there's just no, nobody's coming onto the radar. God, I pray that you would keep them chaste and pure in their conduct. That they would live in an honorable way, that you would uh, increase the strength of their spiritual muscles, God. So when the appointed time does come, that they can step into that season of their life with ease. Lord, we thank you for your truth. And we thank you for these words. We pray, God, that you would seal them in our hearts, and that you would remind us in times when we're struggling. Write it on our hearts, God, and let it be there. We love you, Lord. And we pray.